Thank you again for tuning in to Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott L. I'm Amber. And we're back for another exciting, exciting. fun-filled, thought-provoking, titillating week. Oh my God, what was that? That was weird. It was awesome. That was weird. Because I'm awesome. Okay, I don't like that word. You don't titillating. like titillating? No, I don't. And I don't like the way you said it. Titillating? No, stop saying it. You're doing something weird is with that your one face, of your, Is too. that one of your words you don't like? Like, like no. the words that I don't like? Yeah, like... I'm going to, should I tell everyone the words you don't no, like? No, I don't, no, I don't, no. Scott doesn't like the word Fuck. loaf. I hate that word. Load. Um, if, All them words are gross. If I happen to say the word toilet, turlet. Oh, God. <laughs> just for fun, it makes him sh- like, ugh. Logs, another one I hate. Oh, logs. So you got an issue with the L sound. The L-O words. You don't like the L. They're, they're all just bad. Because <laughs> I think you're associating them with like. Bad stuff. <laughs> bad load load it was just log. okay all right I, you know I, you know i it just i hear them and i just cringe so how was your easter weekend yeah because we didn't see each other at all you just got back like 15 minutes ago no i didn't it's longer than that how was your easter weekend it was uneventful you were on the west i don't side like how hol- yeah i don't like holidays anymore i had to stay here and annoying. take care of the child all weekend by myself single parenting the whole weekend yeah it's a cat um it wore me out it's a cat well, Jenny was pissed that you weren't here. No, she wasn't. She genuinely was upset. She, she Her was and I not talked. Upset. We no, had a conversation. You're not a cat whisperer yet. She's the most ador- adorable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Though I told you, like the last two mornings, I woke up. I was on Easter break this weekend, and uh, yeah, the last two mornings, especially, I was laying in bed and I just had I had the door open, uh, and I would just kind of clap my hands or kind of do the, and I go, "Hey, Jenny, are you out there?" And she'd come walking back. Say hi remember when you said we could never get a cat? Oh, it's it's like. Do you remember when you said that? I know. I remember that very remember vividly. That? I told I was at a record store today and I was talking to a lady about my cat <laughs> or our. Uh, we're not. It's not our. You cat. should start to carry a picture of it in your wallet so you can pull it out and show people. That's like the next level. <laughs> like I took. Like not. You're on your phone in your wallet. No, in your wallet. <laughs> that's like you're serious. Yeah. Like, that's when you're serious yeah. about your pet. Uh, but no, that's what my. Um, my Easter weekend uh, was we're recording this the day after Easter and uh, yeah that's kind of what mine was was just babysitting our little fur baby that's running around the house here she's she's been I think she's upstairs sleeping she yeah. didn't come down here at all for the nope. show nope she's got that new and improved bed upstairs yeah we got her we that. got her like the new like cushy bed and I think she just likes to stay upstairs and not visit us during the show now which kind of bums me out I want her down here uh, so yeah uh, we had a hell of a show tonight too uh I don't, I don't even know where to go with this thing. Well, this this kind of stuff is exciting because we need more paranormal investigators like Brandon Masulo, who is our Man. guest tonight. Yeah, dude. Oh, um, my goodness. I bought the book today as a Kindle download, and I read half of it already. And what was super cool was each chapter had a summary of the chapter, so I was able to kind of skip ahead to see what everything in the book was about, so I'm not totally clueless during the yeah, interview. Yeah, yeah, uh, And it is an excellent book. It's very easy to read, but it's... the. It's the type of book that the paranormal community needs more of. These books that actually take the time to talk about things like EMF and why it's used in the paranormal and all these different studies that have been done to study emotions and how emotions play into how we perceive the paranormal and... Well, it's he, just awesome. And I mean, we mentioned this in the show, but his book is actually called The Ghost Studies, New Perspectives on the Origins of Paranormal Experiences. And it can be found on Amazon and... yeah. Um, well, this raises an interesting else. thought about the study of the paranormal or parapsychology and a lot of the things we got into tonight 
one of the things I know I do in my line of work is we call it code replication where, you know, we go to, we're working on something to do a job and we're like, well, we already have all this stuff written over here. We can just copy that, you know, and take that and use it over here and do some modification and use it. And what just got me thinking is down those lines is I think a lot of people who, who want to get involved and start studying the paranormal and do field research, whatever it may be you want to do. I think a lot of people start from square one when they don't have to. They're probably, well, it's not, there's no probably, there is tons of documentation out there on studies that have already been done on certain things that you may be thinking that you want to do. And I guess if you want to do it just because you want to do it, that's fantastic. But at the same time, a lot of this stuff's already been done, I think. So you're saying people who get into this now aren't breaking any new ground. They're just code replicating. Well, I mean, no, I didn't say that at all. I'm saying maybe people could maybe take the time to go and research stuff a little bit. Uh, and I mean, again, Oh no, 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 no. That has to happen because cause if what, it's already done, I mean, you know, what's the point? Of well, but again? maybe you got a different spin or a take on it or you get different maybe results. Maybe I do. Maybe I, you know, and you're right. Cause it, that, that's a great way, great point to make because as we said, uh, even on this show tonight uh, and previous shows, this shit's it's unpredictable. No, it's, we don't know what's yeah, going it's unpredictable on here. And so maybe you do get a different spin. Who knows? I mean, I could be totally wrong. But when when we were talking to Brandon, he this reminds you of the vastness of how much is involved in the paranormal and the people that get interested and they're the hobby hunters or they form a team and then they do go into people's homes, which is a massive responsibility, which we'll talk about in the show. So you can listen well, to that. We've talked about it so many it, times. We have. We have. We've beat, but, we've beat it to death. But it needs to be said over and over again. It's just sort of mind-boggling how much, like in the show, Brandon talks about people who are environmentally sensitive being stronger. How did he word it? You're people that are environmentally well, some sensitive. Some people are just more sensitive than others. Can pick up on have more paranormal encounters. Yeah. So is that a questionnaire that someone comes in when they interview someone to check out their ghost that you know because they hear something in their attic? Are you sitting down with someone and talking about their environmental sensitivities? Probably not. Probably not. No. Um, do you know how to use your EMF detector correctly? You know, do you know the range, the milligoss where people... Probably not. Yeah, I, we're, I, whatever. I, it, we all talk about it in the show. And we could get it, we always get under soap boxes on this stuff, but whatever. Everyone knows that. Well, <laughs> you what, don't know how to use an EMF meter? Well, uh, uh, hey, I'm not an expert in it by any I. means. Either am I, by any means. I, I, but I... You don't know how to use an EMF meter? Oh, okay. Mm. Brandon Masulo is a clinical therapist, author, and parapsychologist residing in Northeast Ohio. He has graduate degrees in clinical counseling from the University of Toledo and psychological research methods from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland in the UK. His research at the University of Edinburgh centered on EMFs, environmental sensitivity, and ghostly encounters. Brandon mm -hmm. has been fascinated by paranormal phenomena for 20 years and has been a participant and featured speaker in numerous paranormal forums and events, including the Parapsychological Association's 60th anniversary celebration, which I thought was awesome. Wow. His research has been cited in parapsychological journals, newspaper articles, and mainstream books. And this is Brandon's first book that he's talking about with us tonight, mm -hmm. which I mentioned is The Ghost Studies, New Perspectives of the Origins of Paranormal Experiences. And this combines the thrill of reading real-life ghostly encounters and the satisfaction of new perspectives and insights into the cause of these thrilling encounters. And yeah. you can visit Brandon at hauntedtheories.com for more information. Brandon is the real deal, guys. Enjoy our talk with Brandon Masulo.
Brandon, thank you so much, first off, for taking the time to come speak to us. We really appreciate it. We know you're busy. Uh, and, yeah, thank you again for being here. It's uh, it's nice to meet you also. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm actually not that busy, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I want whatever you're doing because I can't seem to get myself 15 minutes to, like, just sit down on the couch and do anything nowadays, it seems like. So <laughs> I, need to know your, I need to know your secret. Um, well, I don't have any kids. That's my secret. Well, we oh, don't, we that's, that's us, too. <laughs> yeah, we don't have kids either. Oh, okay. but what the heck? Well, you have a secret. You have to have a secret because <laughs> we're in the same boat. So... <laughs> You know, there's a lot of stuff we wanted to cover tonight, Brandon, but, you know, there's some very interesting stuff about you uh, that I wanted to start with, if that's cool. Now, from what I understand, you have graduate degrees in research and clinical psychology, and this is something when I, you know, when I was looking through notes and stuff like this, I'm like, oh, this is very interesting, because, yeah, how does this, you know, apply or help with you studying the paranormal like you do? I mean, I think it it, it gives me sort of a unique viewpoint, Um in the research regarding ghosts because I have that clinical side as well as the research side. Yeah. Yeah. So clinical is more, uh, for those who don't know, clinical is more of sitting down face to face, uh, sort of like counseling sessions. Mm -hmm. The research side is more stuff like, um, you know, like you see in parapsychology where they, they conduct random trials and they do statistics and they crunch numbers uh, but they don't do so much face-to-face -face stuff, mm -hmm. clinical work. They do more research. So having sort of delved into both areas, I think I got a pretty good picture of each side of it. Um, so, you know, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. Okay. My graduate degree is actually in clinical counseling uh, and 14 years of clinical experience. I'm still in the clinical field right now. But I also studied um, – I have an, uh, like a master's degree in psychological research methods – uh, with with a specialization in parapsychology from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and that's where I did my actual wow. research on ghostly encounters. Um, so coming from both sides, uh, one of my jobs in the hospital was I did behavioral health consults. So I would see, I would do maybe six to seven consults a day in emergency rooms or medical floors. So over a course of seven years, I interviewed close to five thousand patients. Wow. Uh, and most of the ones I saw were in crisis of some kind, mm. but not all the patients were, you know, acutely in crisis. And it's not like people think where it's just flat out psychosis or schizophrenia. Majority of the patients I saw had depression and anxiety uh, and just were having a bad day. But I started to notice not only in, in the hospital setting, but even in outpatient settings and even just amongst friends, um, uh, how paranormal experiences occurred in conjunction with crises. Uh, and I, I started to see some accounts of um, what we call telepathy or telepathic distress signals and how that coincided with ghostly encounters. So Ooh. I really started to listen, listen more to patients. And then the research side of me combed through parapsychological research uh, from back in the 1800s uh, with these spontaneous crisis apparitions. And I kind of was sort of piecing together some of these things. Um, and then I, uh, I I was looking, like, what is the catalyst for for uh, ghostly encounters? And then I came up with uh, emotions and 
and and that just led me down a whole avenue, and that's where the book came into play, sort of describing my my journey through the research and some of my thoughts on it. Mm. So I took elements from psychological research, clinical interviews, eyewitness accounts of ghostly encounters, and sort of pieced them together and came up with new perspectives on paranormal experiences. So I think if yeah. I would have had one perspective, like going in clinically, oh, this is all due to the unconscious and hallucinations, and um, or if I would have went on just with the research side of things and poo-pooed that stuff, I think it would have come up with different conclusions. So both sides of the clinical and research, I think, helped me uh, have a more balanced approach. Now, the book is named The Ghost Studies, New Perspectives on the Origins of Paranormal Experiences, for anybody who's wondering out there. And you really kind of, uh, my antlers popped up when you started talking about this idea, uh, what what you're calling crisis apparitions and things like that, or just the idea of emotions strong emotions maybe triggering paranormal activity because it's something that you know in our years i know my years of kind of just being you know being i would as i always say an amateur researcher in this field i i've heard a lot of stories for example one story i heard just off the top of my head a young lady was telling me how her parents she had some parents that weren't getting along too well and they ended up getting divorced of course but when they were still married there they had several you know heated exchanges in the house and one of the stories she told me, well, the main story was just this. As these two were getting to the height of their argument, where they were really getting loud with each other, where it was escalating, literally, and this, this was, you know, in the 80s, so TVs were much different then, right? <laughs> right. They were more boxes than these flat things we have now. And there was just, right. this was one of them smaller, maybe like, you know, I don't know, 10 or 12 inch, you know, little color TVs you'd, you'd put on a coffee table or something. And the young lady explained to me, you know, just described, said, you know, as they were going and arguing that it finally got to a point where she's like, I, she's, I felt the energy in the room. And the next thing I know, the TV literally just, just slid and shot right off the table it was on. And it was, you know, as we know, those TVs were not very light, even a small 12 inch TV of that sort. But it was sitting, she, she swore, you know, that the, the TV was sitting on a flat, you know, a flat table. There was a solid table. It wasn't like dipping. The house wasn't on a, on a slant or yeah, anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It just shot off and, you know, it didn't break, thank goodness. It cracked the plastic uh, casing from, uh, from what she said. But that's one of those things, one of those just small examples that I've been exposed to where you have this idea of emotion playing into the environment. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think a lot of times, um, if you look, if you comb through numerous eyewitness accounts and research and all that, you'll come across themes, and emotions is one of those things that you really come across. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's with um, um, sort of residual or imprint theory, or psychokinesis or poltergeist activity, uh, hauntings. This idea that a tragedy some sort of emotional distress happened in this environment, which sort of burned into the environment. Yeah, yeah. But really what you find is that emotional distress, overwhelming feelings, depression, anxiety, irritability, grief, trauma, fear, all that is a prominent part of these paranormal experiences that are out there. Uh, a lot of the the researchers in the um, early 1900s and 
um, even uh, Carl Jung, which he was oh, yeah. uh, associated with Freud, mm-hmm. basically was under the impression that, um, you know, uh, I, I forget how he worded it, but in other words, psychological distress is a must in a paranormal, for a paranormal experience to occur. And, and without these sort of human emotions and dynamics, um, he more or less said that they emotions uh, emotions and um, dynamics among people is sort of like the flame that that grills a burger, but it's <laughs> sort of the the catalyst to um, paranormal experiences. So these are yeah. important baseline. You know what's happening if you if you trace a lot of these um, case studies back, um, and and that's the fascinating part because you know human emotions. Um, you can't really, I don't know, you can't test for them. There's no lab that says you're depressed. There's no urine level that says the amount of anxiety that you have. Mm-hmm. There's sort of this, these vague things that we all experience, but we don't know how to quantify. Uh, yet they're so important throughout our whole day, um, mm. our interactions, everything. Yeah. Uh, it's, we've, we've talked about this so many times, um, it's nice to you know. It's nice to talk to you about this also because we've we've talked about this idea of you know it all just kind of relates like and I and I do like that idea of emotion being the flame that will yeah <laughs> it will cook the burger because I really think that's what I I guess what I'm trying to understand here is I, I I'm with you on that idea that emotion plays into this idea of of what hauntings may be or ghosts whatever you want to call them. Um, my thing is just trying to see how they all, I think it's obviously with anything, most anything in nature, they all kind of have a relation to each other. They're all glued to each other somehow. Right. And I think the, you know, and that may be, that may be beyond what we're, what we can even discuss or try to understand on this show. Uh, but that's where I'm kind of trying to go. Okay. We have the emotion. We also have as you met, like the idea, how you phrased it, like burning something into an environment, uh, imprinting itself into an environment, residual type hauntings. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's where it starts to get really, you know, where you want to dig on this. But I think it's you know, who has the answers, right? Is how is it kind of how do they all work together? How do these pieces? Have you ever sat down and kind of banged that idea out or or, or written that down too? Well, it, everyone has sort of a different viewpoint on that, you know. Um, yeah. Like I mentioned before, the the poltergeists, which they in mm-hmm. parapsychology they don't call them poltergeists; they call it recurrent, spontaneous, psychokinetic phenomenon. <laughs> RSPK. Is I'll what stick they with call poltergeists. It. Yeah, <laughs> but essentially, what that means is, if you break the word down, recurrent, spontaneous, psychokinetic phenomenon mm-hmm. really means. Um, the ability of the mind to move things on a recurrent basis, I guess. Um, yeah. But basically what that means is that somehow emotions are tied to um, an agent who, in other words, it's usually a young kid who um, under distress and emotional distress sends it, can move objects with their mind in a way. Mm-hmm. So emotions are tied there. For me, I really, uh, and, and every researcher have his different perspective on it, but I, I found that, you know, crisis and trauma is usually really the starting point. And anytime you have crisis, a trauma, a near-death experience, um, you know, a car accident, feeling like you're going down in an airplane, the person doesn't necessarily have to die. But usually, when you're in these crisis situations, 
you'll send out kind of like it's almost like a telepathic message in a weird way because mm-hmm. um, we've all had those those stories you mentioned crisis apparitions where mm-hmm. you know we're laying in bed one random night and our aunt suddenly appears and says um i love you goodbye and then the next morning you find out that she died at that same emo- at that same moment where she appeared to you last night right you mean in a the, dream or actually like they're in front of you like actually like an apparition okay all right so those are that's your basis of your crisis apparition um and what you have there is um you have this now the the odds of that happening are astronomical right i don't know how many seconds we've encountered in our lives or how many minutes we've encountered so if someone lives to be 70 years old they've encounter i'm just pulling this out of my butt you know <laughs> a billion minutes right yeah yeah what are the odds that that one minute that you have an apparition coincides with the same time your aunt dies right the yeah. odds of that are astronomical so these crisis apparitions are really when people look for evidence of the paranormal these crisis apparitions are sort of the the key to it uh, they're often overlooked because they're not as dramatic as uh, you know, a haunting, uh, the axe murderer house and things like that. But these crisis apparitions and near death experiences to some degree provide them, um, the most evidence for survival after death or consciousness moving on after we pass away. Yeah. Um, and sometimes telepathy happens when people actually don't die either. So in this case, the ant somehow sent the telepathic message to, me as I was laying in bed and it presented itself in an apparition. Uh, sometimes like if my wife gets in an accident, you'll read stories about these. My wife gets into a car accident. And at that same time, I get this overwhelming feeling of fear, like something's going wrong. And I might even see an apparition of my wife with like a broken arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I find out she's not dead. She got into a car accident, some life threatening event, but somehow mm-hmm. she sent this message to me across town that presented itself in an apparition. But the basis of both of those events, the aunt dying and my wife being in a car accident, the amount of emotions and tr- and uh, fear, and I can't have imagined the, the, the impact or the intensity of these things that happen in these near-death moments. Yeah. Um, that's the catalyst to everything. Uh, and then that sort of triggers the, the series of events, which I go over in my book. I, I have a series of events that occur and then a paranormal or a crisis apparition occurs. Oh, um, so that's really what I see the basis being. Okay, cool. Well, and that makes sense when we're looking at emotions. And when you look at just traditional hauntings, like haunted places, it'll be, you know, a haunted battlefield where everyone died tragically. Or the yeah. street that's haunted by the girl that was run over by the car that just took off. And sure. it, it's a lot of times these things are steeped in just urban legend. And sometimes they're not even true. But... Places where true, horrible things did happen always seem to be haunted. And I don't know if that's just, I mean, part of it's probably our human nature to look at those places and assume that there's a haunting left there. But then you got to wonder, there is that emotional energy left behind caused by a tragic event. Um, and, and I think that's kind of fascinating, too, when, it would, you know, when we're discussing the emotional aspect of, of hauntings and paranormal things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you take the example of like a Gettysburg, for example, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. So the, the Gettysburg is probably one of the most haunted battlefields, at least from what I've heard. But you have a person who, you know, let's say you have a, a, um, a young gentleman who is 
perhaps dying in, in the fields of, of Gettysburg. As he's dying, you know, he's going through this life-threatening event. Um, you know, perhaps he's bleeding or choking and saying, please tell my mom I love her. And then let's say he has um, his mom lives in Montana, right? And the Gettysburg's in PA. As this happening, his mom gets this uh, overwhelming sense of, of fear and sadness and then maybe has a here's a her son's voice say tell my mom i love her uh and then gets these somatic symptoms like her chest is filling with blood and her head hurts because her son was hit by a uh, a bullet or in the head and was shot in the chest or something like that so this telepathic message happens between them we hear about this all the time mm-hmm. now the the thing that's a little different is you know we we want to Let's fast. Let's say this happened in I don't, when was that Gettysburg? Eighteen uh, seventies, something like that. Eighteen sixties. Eighteen sixties. Let's say that this, we, with, the two of us should know that. We, not I'm you, horrible with dates. Impar- it doesn't matter. I'm oh, horrible with. Numbers. Yeah, I, I tend to get confused a little bit yeah. in the eighteen hundreds. I feel like everything is the eighteen seventies for some <laughs> uh, But let's say this telepathic interaction happened in the eighteen seventies, right? Yeah. And let's say you guys are part of a paranormal team and you're out in Gettysburg and you got all your equipment and you pick up this message on your EVP that says, tell my mom, I love her. And your psychic or sensitive person starts feeling heaviness in the chest, kind of like the, the son was feeling when he was dying on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, is that the son's deceased ghost hanging out in the battlefield? Or are you picking up on this telepathic message that was sent years and years ago? Yeah, the, the imprint we're talking about. I mean, maybe that's just some type of field or force I, that just was I left feel there. like I'm starting to feel more and more like we are picking up tele- like telepathically. We're, we're going to a haunted place and we're picking up on these they're impressions. And we're imprints. kind of like, are, are ghosts haunting us or are we haunting, haunting the haunted places with yeah. our minds? But, but the question sometimes, if, if we stay, take a little bit more of a step back is, Let's say that I'm part of a paranormal team in Montana where the mom is, all right? Okay. And let's say I'm, uh, the mom has passed away. New people have moved into the house. It's now 2018, so it's over 100 years since this message was sent. Mm-hmm. Now the current owners are seeing an apparition of a Civil War soldier, and they're hearing a voice say, tell my mom I love her, right? Yeah. They take their equipment into this Montana house. And now they're picking up these EVPs and picking up all this information. And people who are sensitive enough are coming in and, and, and seeing the Civil War soldier feeling like he was shot in the chest and so forth. Now, the question is, no tragedy happened in this house. No Civil War soldier died in Montana, to my knowledge, because yeah. there wasn't any wars there. So what is what are they picking up on, right? Uh, the imprint didn't happen there. The sun didn't die there. But what did happen was the message that was sent, this telepathic message that was sent, ended there as well. Well, yeah, I was going to say he projected it there. I mean, that's yeah. all I can say is it was projected there. I'm not, we're not going to discuss how, <laughs> but it was projected yeah. there. And that's, yeah, I see what you're saying. But that, and a lot of times we have these sort of ghostly phenomenon happen in buildings that have no history or anything like that. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times people scratch their head and go, well, how can that happen? In Gettysburg, this idea of tragedy and death and uh, the emotional energy associated that is burned into the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's so much that as this telepathic message that's out there. Um, these telepathic messages kind of hang around to some degree 
and and in the book I go over those a lot of the research behind what's happening in the environment. Yeah. But I think if we look at these types of phenomenon in a different way and we look at the actual origin stories of some of these experiences, we could see that it might not be an imprint, but it might be a telepathic message that was sent between the two. Yeah. Um, well, and that could be the same for hauntings and, mm. and, and all this. Now, yeah, and as we were discussing this these idea well this idea of telepathic method messages. Ugh. This tea's really good. This tea's relaxing. I didn't me. put anything in it. Oh yeah, you, you, <laughs> straight up tea. <laughs> my mouth's getting heavy. I'm slurring. <laughs> so, as we were discussing this idea, though, I was thinking about some things like near and dear to me, actually, because you know, like we talked about the idea of you know, yeah, and I agree. Like the odds are astronomical. Like at that same moment in your life and another person's, well, in your life, if you're the person that's not dying, I guess. You yeah. see, you see this uh, this crisis apparition, right? I, I tend to think maybe it isn't quite, you know, just like that. I, I hate to say that simple, but I was thinking about stuff in my life. Like, for example, um, my grandmother on my mother's side, you know, there's there was this weird thing that happened to me. I actually wrote a whole, I wrote this whole thing down because my grandmother was dying. I mean, she had terminal cancer, right? And being a young guy, I was barely 18 years old. So I didn't really realize the gravity of what was going on. I was busy trying to be a partier, right? I'm not proud of it now, but that's what, that's what people do when they're young. And I remember vividly, like this was, you know, just a regular day of the week and I was meeting some friends for a bite to eat and I was waiting for them to show up in the parking lot and something just kind of hit me. Something just kind of washed over me. Right. And literally I went into tears for no reason at all. I didn't understand what was happening to me, but something said, go see your grandma. You need to go see your grandmother right now. So, I mean, a friend of mine showed up and he's like, he sees me sitting there by myself in my car crying, which, you know, he wasn't used to seeing that. And he's like, dude, are you okay? And I'm like, he's, I'm like, we got, I gotta go see my grandma. I have to go see my grandmother right now. He's like, well, you shouldn't be driving like this. Let me drive you down there. So he drove me down there and I went and met with my grandmother. She was, you know, terminal cancer. Her, she really didn't even know who I, she called me her son's name, uh, my uncle's name. Right. She didn't really know it was me. And, but I said, what I said, and, and I left. Right. So that was in the evening. Uh, let's say it's Wednesday. Uh, and, Thursday morning, about four o'clock in the morning, my sister wakes me up and says, Scott, grandma passed away, right? Now, a lot of this, am I saying, oh my God, this is some, this was some paranormal event that happened, but we're getting, we're going into this idea of telekinesis and this idea of projection too. Maybe it isn't just in these, these certain moments, maybe it's a little looser than that. Like, you know, if I, I like to think that, you know, telekinesis we all know it's not an exact science. We really ha- don't know how it all works. So based on that, it may just be this idea where the person that's trying to project whatever they're doing, yeah, they don't know what the hell they're doing either, <laughs> right? So oh, yeah, it, yeah. it may not be simple as when well, they're it, dying. It they, can't be controlled. It can't be controlled. Exactly. Thank you, Amber. So maybe it's something they just kind of put out there. And if somebody latches onto it, maybe like I did that. And I'm not saying that this this may have just been me feeling like complete shit and being guilty. And it finally just ate me up. Right. And yes. and I just realized at that moment I had to visit my grandma. I don't know. 
Uh, but it was something that I thought that was weird and it really did apply. You know, I was thinking about this as you were talking about this, Brandon. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it may be, to me, I think, I think it may be a bit of a looser thing uh, than that. It's just, if you pick up on it, you pick up on it. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, telepathy is one of those things that, uh, despite what some people will say, it's, it's almost like an unconscious phenomenon. In yeah. other words, we don't really have conscious control over it. Exactly. Um, it tends you could see some similarities between things because the messages typically happen between two people who are linked. Usually, it's through family. Yeah. Um, and and usually you you would go well if this person is want, is sending out some sort of message unconsciously because they're in distress and then how does it get from point A to point B like if it goes out into the environment how does it know to go to you exactly in, yeah in your high school right mm-hmm. but when we when we think about things like with the radio stations right it has to do with residents mm-hmm. so if I'm we're surrounded by radio signals at all times. Right. Mm-hmm. The only way in order to sort of link with the radio station we want or resonate, we have to turn the dial to a certain frequency. Mm-hmm. So if I turn my dial to 92.3, it ignores all the other frequencies out there and plays 92.3. So and in other words, my car is resonating with the, uh, the environment or the radio signals out there. So the theory sometimes comes by or the hypothesis comes by that uh, family is sort of linked in a way, and they can resonate it at extreme distances. Um, so that's how it finds this person. Yeah. Um, they've actually done research on it. I mean, it's not really. I don't know why it's not publicized so much, but um, uh, Michael Persinger did a lot of research on this. Um, God, I think it was in 2015. And and what he did was kind of I mean it's um, I, I go over it pretty extensively in the book yeah but just to sort of briefly talk about it because and I'll I'll mess up some things but <laughs> what he what it's really called is entanglement or non locality okay so that's the ability of objects to know kind of what each other is doing instantaneously and when this synchronization happens information is transported or shared. And the type of information that's shared is visual images, feelings, which is what you got, hunches, which is what you got, and sometimes visions and voices as well. Mm. So when the research came into this entanglement or people communicating at a distance in a way, what they did was they put one sibling, in order to test this, they put one sibling, uh, they had a pair of siblings, one of them was in a room, um, Oh, I'm sorry. They weren't siblings. They put one person in a room that was completely dark. Okay. Okay. And then they put another person in a room. All right. And person B, who was just in a regular room, what they did was they were shining uh, light in his eyes. Like, um, so his eyes were registering light. Okay. Um, and the person in the other room, which was pitch black, they were monitoring him and they noticed that his pupils were dilating like they were like a light was being shown inside of them. Right. Oh, really? So, so yeah, so they synchronized. So what they found was that if you have two participants and you put the same sort of rotating magnetic fields around their heads, um, what happens is these rotating magnetic fields when applied to both of these in a certain configuration actually synchronize their brains. 
Um, and they did this. They separated participants um, by over 3,000 miles, and they still achieved entanglement. Um, and they've done this on a, a, a numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've actually found, too, people with psychic abilities. They would put the psychics and the subjects linked up to an EEG, which sort of measures your brain activity. Mm-hmm. And they found that when the psychic and the, the person he was reading um, – when their EEGs resonated or became similar, this is when he was accurate in his readings of the, the person. So his hit rate was really high when they synchronized. Okay. So what we're having here is if we're, if, if we're manipulating the magnetic fields around our heads and we make them the same, we can sometimes pass information between the two, right? Wow. So this is a lab doing it. Now, um, obviously out in the real world, it's maybe something like this is happening, but it's not something that, that we can sort of consciously do. Yeah, we It can't. happens. Uh, Go ahead. And usually emotions flip the switch to this whole thing, and then the environment takes over as well, and then the resonating, and it, all this stuff really happens, which, again, I go over – it's a whole chapter in the book, so – uh, I don't want you to think I just pulled one study out of my butt. <laughs> it's a whole Did, it's a whole chapter of yeah. talking about entanglement and how the environment plays a role in it. So it's and I know I'm not a soundbite guy, but in the if you're really interested in the paranormal, this idea is if we can communicate at distances and survival of consciousness, this is this is the guts of ghostly encounters. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Did Persinger experiment with the God helmet with his was that the guy? Yeah, he's the same guy. He's okay. a, um, a neuropsychologist out of Canada. Unfortunately, he recently passed away. Oh. But he does. He did a lot of research, uh, basically on magnetic fields. The, the the God helmet was sort of a lot of people don't talk about it, but it was really the genesis of using EMF meters and and researching the paranormal. Um, because what they found with the God helmet was is if you manipulated something, the magnetic fields around your brain, you can actually induce ghostly experiences um and these are fields magnetic fields that you can sort of come across in the environment um but yeah he he's what's great about him is all of his research is free online you can go look it up um so it's out there in our fingertips and a lot of people maybe don't know about it or are overwhelmed when reading research journal articles but most of the time, you could break them down pretty easily. Yeah, I looked up the God helmet because I'm, I'm like, can you get one of these? And you, you kind of, you can. You can actually purchase uh, one of these devices to hook up to your head, which I, I kind of yeah. was a little freaked out by. Like, okay, is this gonna mess with like the EMF things going on in my head and like induce a stroke or something? Like, it freaked me out yeah. a little bit. But it's intriguing to think about how simple it is to trigger a potentially paranormal experience in our minds just by walking into a magnetic field that is part of our everyday existence. And I appreciated that in the book, you took your time to talk and explore about uh, the whole EMF world and how ghost hunters love, like, like that's our go tool, go to tool is the yeah, handy little, yeah, the, the, I know, <laughs> uh, the EMF detector. And so many people get involved in the paranormal, like if they're in a hobby ghost hunting group or anything, and they, they go online and they buy a tri-field meter or something cheaper, and they yeah. just wander around with it. And I think they just wait for it to spike and go, oh, that's a ghost. When really yeah. it's like, no, that's just a little fluctuation. It could be your microwave. It could be anything. And I think people that did kind of stick with the technology and learn about it, they could walk around a house and learn like, okay, 
you do have some high amounts of EMF in your house. This could be triggering something. Um, of course, we know extended uh, exposure to EMF can cause uh, you need to be sick and have long-term health effects. But I, there was a little part in your book where you mentioned a, I think it was a child was was having some type of, you know, they were having a haunting or something they were experiencing in their house. And it was a digital clock on her yeah, nightstand. Yeah, he did a whole. Was that him? Um, okay. Yeah, he did a whole research article on it. They went into the house and did all these readings. And um, what they found was that, the house was perfectly normal, but they were getting these very strong, abnormal, fluctuating magnetic fields by this clock that was plugged in. And once they removed the clock, there was no more paranormal or ghostly encounters with the kid. So, you know, and I can't remember when that article was. I want to say it was the 80s. But that's really, like I said, what spawned this whole EMF thing. Because this was a guy researching paranormal who was using an EMF meter in a way. His was probably more complicated, but... Um, then it kind of it took on its own thing and and people were noticing the whole energy hypothesis with ghosts was being presented and people were uh, correlating spikes with paranormal encounters and um like i say in the book i don't i don't really take a stance either or i think the first thing you want to do with an emf meter is rule out sort of electrical things interfering with yeah. your brain mm-hmm. that probably would be the primary thing you know, I and I talk to paranormal investigators all the time. But if you have like an EMF that's following you around the house, and you know it's not, you can't pinpoint it. I think then you start going, oh, this could be something that's abnormal or paranormal or or whatnot. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's a test. That would be definitely weird if it was following yeah, you around, like you're yeah. saying. I, I couldn't, I can't explain that. No. Now, now in the book, uh, again, the books, uh, the ghost studies, new perspectives on the origins of paranormal experiences. Um, you you and we mentioned this earlier too. You collect you maybe maybe have told a couple of those stories already, but you've collected several case examples of ghostly encounters. Uh, I was wondering if you want to talk about uh, one or two of these because <laughs> I'm really curious if from what we talked about now, I'm just wondering what you got into with some of these cases. Yeah, yeah, I had um, I don't know how many really I have in the book, um, but they they range from all different sort of. Um, people and facets of life i suppose mm-hmm. um but i'll i'll go i'll go give you a couple here yeah, right. um uh so here's one um my father passed away quietly in the hospital around 3 p.m that day and this isn't me this is someone uh, <laughs> we had a very special relationship and i definitely considered myself a daddy's girl yeah his passing was a shock to the whole family overwhelmed with sadness worry and fear i laid down on the couch as soon as i got home that evening It must have been around 8 p.m. when my encounter occurred. I know that I was not asleep. While laying on the couch, an overwhelming sense of comfort overcame me. As I sat up, I saw an image of my father. I wasn't scared, just shocked. He walked towards me and whispered, don't be sad. He then rubbed my shoulders, which is what he would do to ease my sadness when I was a teenager. The encounter made me smile, even though it only lasted seconds, and then he slowly faded away. So what's what's great about this is this is – it's a spontaneous case. It, it only occurred once. This wasn't a haunting or anything like that. But it shows the use of ghostly phenomenon to sort of ease or cope with sort of a psychological injury like the death of the father. Um, so this is a very powerful, very emotional experience that this woman had. And I, I, I put it in the book. Just to, One of the things I like to stress in the book is that 
you know, TV presents ghostly encounters as being these negative energies that are, you know, doomsday type stuff. But mm. what research says is that people who have paranormal experiences, they long term result is actually more positive than it is negative. So there's yeah. a more of a sense of something happening in the afterlife. Um, I think people I mean, that story you just told, I think people want that to happen. I mean, I, I think people yearn to, you know, maybe have that closure and actually, you know, have the hand on the shoulder or yeah, the a face to face thing and say, Hey, look, it's me. I'm not here physically anymore, but it's cool. Move mm -hmm. on with your life. I'll be okay. We all want to have that closure. Unfortunately, I think in 99.9% .9 of the cases, people don't get that closure. The person just dies and we never hear from them ever again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, um, and I, that's an important part. It's like, it's the body's in a way is the body seeking to heal. Um, and this this ghostly encounter is a way to sort of speed up that psychological injury of the death of a father or the grieving. Yeah, you know. Uh, so in the book, I usually every case study I give, I give an example or maybe an explanation about what happened. So you know, in in the book, what I found was reading, and I read a lot of books on case studies, but mm -hmm. they would give you a great ghostly encounter, and then it would pause and then it would go to the next one. So no one really took the time to explain maybe what's possibly happening in these types of situations. Yeah. So what I was, when I started my book, I, I felt like, well, let's dig deeper into some of these things and let's see if we can find a possible explanation for it. The go-to for a lot of things is this idea of um, earthbound spirits and the dad came back to say goodbye and things like that. So those are very common. So I, I try to, I, I don't dismiss those, but I try to look, well, maybe let's look at other avenues as well. Because anyone who tells you that all ghosts are blank, all ghosts are a, all ghosts, ghostly phenomenon are earthbound spirits. Um, I think they're absolutely 100% wrong. Yeah, the, I agree. The, there's a, there's a numerous, possible explanations for a ghostly encounter everything from like we talked about with psi to telepathy to um could be um earthbound spirits it could be an imprint it could be uh this it could be that it could be misinterpreting ambiguous stimuli it could be you know all these numerous things mm. so to go in and just expect well everything's going to be an earthbound spirit or whatever it's wrong you know, I know there's no experts in paranormal, but I'm pretty confident to say that that's wrong. Now, maybe 10% or 15 or 20% are due to earthbound spirits or whatever, however you want to break these things down. But I think it's also good to look at other things that are out there. So while I don't dismiss earthbound spirits, I kind of like to look at what else is happening. And I think that if we open our minds and broaden our perspectives on ghostly encounters and paranormal experiences, I don't think that's a bad thing. Do you? No, not at all. No. Yeah. I, well, and you mentioned in your book that we need to redefine what a ghost is. And I think yeah. we're at that phase where it is time. It's not just this traditional, well, you know, we die and we turn into a ghost and we haunt our family and we sit around the cemetery. Mm -hmm. Like, there has to be a better explanation than what our folklore tells us. Yeah. Definitions have to evolve. I mean, 
the definition of a phone has certainly changed since the 1800s. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah and yeah. that and that changes for everything, you know. And and I think ghost is one of those ghostly encounter or ghost haunt type, whatever you want to call them. I, I think it's time we sort of reevaluate that. Um, well, and I think it's like anything. I mean, like you said, it, it evolves. And I mean, if phones are a great example, and I may have mentioned this before on a previous show. I mean, if you would have told me just, I saw it in sci-fi movies where you had uh, a device where you'd have two-way audible and video communication with somebody. I mean, I only saw that on Star Trek when I was a kid. And I and, and never into my mind in a million years would I have thought that right now as we speak, just maybe a couple decades later, that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not it, – yeah, it's a, it's a marvel of technology, but – Things do obviously change. I mean, to illustrate that, what you said, like phones are different. They're much different than they were just 20, 30 years ago, right? Yeah, so. and and when we look at, like in parapsychology, you don't study ghosts. You study the survival hypothesis, which is this idea that some part of us goes on after we die. So is that consciousness? Is that spirit? Is that whatever fill in the blank right mm -hmm. but that's really what you're looking at um so research nowadays and at least in the last five years or so this idea of consciousness has been a very hot topic amongst a, a lot of the academics nobel prize winners physicists all this stuff what is consciousness um, and consciousness is pretty much our self-awareness, who we are, our personality. You know, where does that come from? Um, and sometimes the idea of being, it might not just be internal. It may be an external thing. Um, so the research is really, and if consciousness is something that that's external, in other words, not located inside our brains, but something that we're sort of connecting to outside of our brains, mm -hmm. that opens the possibility to pretty much every paranormal phenomenon that's out there. Um, so you see this paradigm shift going from, well, consciousness is just an illusion or consciousness is somewhere located in our brains and we're like computers and, you know, I can program a computer to be conscious, but no one's ever been able to do that. Uh, so now it's shifting a little bit more towards, well, maybe it's more existential or, or, um, more complicated than we thought it was. Yeah. So you're seeing this paradigm shift in a lot of the research out there and, and I think a lot of the people who are interested in paranormal are becoming more and more interested in sort of the, the consciousness side of things or the, the physics side of things. Uh, and that's really where I think the future lies yeah. um, in changing the definition. It's going to be more like consciousness-based mm -hmm. um, than it is earthbound spirit hanging around. But based on that idea, just thinking about this, uh, we've obviously, I know you, you probably – People have had brain damage. They've had injuries. Um, things have happened to them. And after that accident, let's just say this person had an accident, they came out at the other end of it with brain damage. And as a result of that brain damage, their personality wasn't the same. Uh, maybe their personality was altered or you know, slightly that it was noticeable. Or maybe they couldn't talk anymore. Maybe they just were totally... You know, they were a vegetable, let's just say, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, now what I was thinking on top of that was, okay, if we're to assume that this idea of consciousness is outside of our brains, 
our mm-hmm. the, the the gray matter there. I guess what brain damage in that in that case would be considered would be that you can't connect to this giant mainframe. <laughs> yeah, if you yeah, I'm so, saying, right? So it's that's a it's a great question. So we all have our TVs nowadays, right? We all have our Netflix. Uh-huh. Um, is every movie on Netflix stored inside our computer or in our TV? No. Where's it stored? It's all on a server. It's all up in a yeah. cloud. Made the cloud now. Yeah. It's 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 out there. It's we're connecting to it. Yes, right? exactly. So with brain damage, you have a dam. You what you do is you essentially break something in your brain. You break your antenna. <laughs> yeah. So you, you break an internal component. Mm-hmm. So if I break an internal component on my TV, does that mean all the information from Netflix goes away? No. No, it just means my TV is not connecting to it. Um, so I could damage parts of my brain that affect my speech that affect my memory, that affect all these other things. But it's just like damaging a part to a TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you're damaging the part. Like a screen, My the, the the visuals can go out on my TV, but I could still hear the audio. Yeah. That's an internal problem. Sight, sight and sound. I mean, but yeah. it's still connecting to Netflix. I'm still getting some of that information from my Netflix on there. Just not all of it. Not yeah. not all the impressions that you would normally get. Okay. Exactly, because an internal component is damaged. The same could be with consciousness in the brain. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake, who is sort of the pioneer of this this thinking of consciousness being outside the brain, he's a oh god, I think he's a biologist trained from Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has numerous books out there that are really just mind blowing as far as. Um, consciousness and a lot of the stuff I'm talking about about the TV and that really comes from his thoughts but it it, it he's he wrote this book in the 80s and he does a lot of these he's still doing talks now and the paradigm shift is kind of coming more towards him but mm. I, I like to, to think about things outside the box because um, it helps me understand uh, life a little bit better and if I'm just stuck to um, uh, I want to say mainstream, then um, I, not to say the mainstream is bad, but I think sometimes looking outside the box is an okay thing to do. Now, going so far outside the box is, could be damaging. Well, I mean, but, uh, I think, you know, you know, if you spend, and you've kind of already laid this down too, if you spend decades looking at something, I mean, it, it, it's going to evolve. And I know Amber and myself and our group of cronies and nerds, uh, we've all done this already. We've been doing it for years where we have done the same thing where we're looking, you know, digging deeper, asking sometimes, sometimes harebrained questions. Sometimes they're harebrained questions, but a lot of times they lead us down a path of discussion and thought exchange that's very compelling and it's interesting and it may help us learn more. Uh, does it give us the answers? Nine times out of ten, no. Uh, but I think this idea of yeah jumping outside of the box here and not just saying these are our earthbound you know earthbound spirits that have disembodied and this sticking that idea no I think if you're going to study this stuff and you're not going to have an open mind to everybody's ideas then you're what are you doing here <laughs> it's kind of confusing yeah. to think about that honestly and and I, I'm not I I'm not going to bash the ghost shows or anything but oh, I, I am I'll that, do it all day long. <laughs> Uh, no, but, but I think that they have agendas in, in what they push, and a lot of times the the more research backed stuff is not included in some of the 
um, the theories that they have on ghosts and uh, negative energy and, and demons and yeah. things like that. And I think, you know, uh, obviously when you start off, the first thing you do is you get interested through watching TV. At least nowadays you do. You get interested through watching TVs or um, TV or uh, maybe you have an experience yourself and you look mm -hmm. to TV to help explain what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and if a certain agenda is pushed, which is ghosts to earthbound spirits and demons and this and that, then you start kind of it starts creeping into your unconscious in a way. Yeah, and so I, and I understand stepping outside that. the yeah. box is really where you want to be. I understand because nine times out of ten times when when it comes up, what I do and the podcast we do here and the stuff we study comes up to company that I may not know that well. It usually the next the next question is, "Hey, have you seen that show where they do that thing?" And I'm not going to sit here and I mean, yeah, I do kind of grit my teeth a little bit, uh, but. Yeah, they have an agenda, and, and well, we don't need to go. Well, it's entertainment. Road. It's entertainment, and, well, and what and, you were saying again, yeah. it's something like when I grew up, there were no ghost shows. No, same here. Um, so, but to me, a, a weirdo like myself, I didn't. It's you didn't have anywhere to go. You didn't have anything to watch on TV. Occasionally, Unsolved Mysteries would throw in a ghost thing every once in a while. Yeah, but then that yeah. would just scare the bejesus out of you. When you're young, yeah, it scared the crap out of me. I and they didn't really investigate anything. They just scared you. Yeah, they scared this you. thing appeared. Well, and, I mean, in the hard research you're talking about, Brandon, we both, I think we could both agree on this. It wouldn't be exciting for TV. I understand that, yeah. right? Yeah. That's fair. Um, so what what sells advertising or whatever it is on TV is what we see on the TV shows, and that's that's fine. There's no problem with that. You know, my thought though, because the 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 few experiences that I've I've had over my life, and I've been lucky enough over the last like over the last two decades to kind of be involved with this stuff. So I had people around me. I had people I could go to. So my thing was, and I do again. This is with the understanding that I I do understand that. TV kind of is where people will go. But like the few times I've had things happen to me where I was like, I can't explain this. I immediately put my feelers out to people I knew and said, Hey, you've, you know, you're, you're sensitive, whatever, you know, mediums, whatever they may be. Could, could we talk about this or are other people, other researchers? Could we talk about this? Do you have any ideas on what I may have experienced here? So I reached out to people I knew, of course I did some reading too. And I think, I think we both can agree too that that may be a healthier way to to approach this. <laughs> but I again, yeah. I, that's with the understanding that I do know people they want to find a resource, and that's a, that's a that's a readily available resource for people to try to understand this. Yeah, um, and you know, people who may not be in the field exactly, or may be a little bit more embarrassed to talk about uh, to other people about what's happening. Correct. May may email you know ghost hunters of L.A. And who knows who's running Ghost Hunters of L.A. Yeah. Um, and he might respond with something that's probably freaks him out a little bit mm -hmm. longer. Um, or, you know, watches uh, Ghost Adventures. And so it, everyone kind of gathers their information. But you're right. Obviously, you want to read and, and uh, seek consultation from others and kind of get a better idea of what's going on out there. Yeah. But that, um, that's a very important point you made, though. And I and I. I should be more sensitive to that stuff, though. Too is that this is tough for some people. I mean, when you've been sure, when yeah. you've been involved with it for two decades, I don't really think about it that way anymore. I don't really, 
I don't have those that anxiety about it anymore. I, I'm yeah. happy to tell people any story that I have. Uh, but yeah, if this is something you're new to, and that, I think that's the biggest uh, barrier to this to entry right there is just that is that people don't want to be thought that they're crazy. They don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, and that's those yeah. are all fair things. I mean, you don't want to have that's that's scary for people to do that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's challenging. And and so the ghost shows provide like almost like a support for people like that. Oh, I'm not alone in going through whatever I experienced. And that's good. That's very good. Yeah. So, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have that. You know, I would I would read my parapsychology books and, you know, I'd hide them under my bed like they were Playboys. Oh, you yeah. Know, I was, that's uh, – yeah. <laughs> Those were the number one stolen books in – a library. Well, and I work in a library, but yeah, section Dewey Decimal Section one thirty three is the <laughs> most stolen books in the past because yeah. parapsychology kid, books. Yeah, because kids had to steal them. Uh, you know, if you grew up in a religious family and your parents yep. didn't want you reading about ghosts or or witchcraft, because the witchcraft oh, really? books would wow. be, you know, the Salem witchcraft books would be one thirty three, and uh, yeah, it was they were always stolen constantly. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. You're know right. That. Yeah. I, I would. I would uh, agree 100 percent with that. I think it's, it's this idea. Well, if somebody sees me checking this out, they're gonna think I'm this or that. Yep. Um, so let me just take it, and you know, no one will ever know but me. Um, that's why so, I guess yeah. that's where that's where the whole book cover market started right there. I I, I guess because. Uh, I mean, you're at the airport. I see this very. I've seen. I've been at the airport, and I'll just be walking around, and I'll see people reading books or magazines, and I won't lie. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of eyeball over there. What are they reading? I'm just curious, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Not saying it's the right thing to do, but I'm. That's the fear yeah. here. People don't. Uh, that's just a fear of embarrassment. I get. I, I guess in the situation. Well, and there wasn't self check stations back in the 80s and 90s, so you had to go up to a librarian yep. and check your book out. Oh God! And mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, us librarian types do not care what you are reading at all, <laughs> but we do get it a feel for people based on what they read. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, but the librarians are cool people. But hey, you never know. Back in the day, you might have had your neighbor. Uh, might have been yep. your your you know circulation librarian, and you know maybe say something to your mom. Well, you know, so and so came in, and she's checking out those books on those ghosts. So yeah, exactly. Check, you know, maybe you walk up there and you put the book on there, and <laughs> yeah. your neighbor's standing behind yep. you, yep. you know, and sees the the title of the book, and then that yeah. starts a whole frenzy or whatever. Yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, nowadays with the internet, you can Google things and figure yeah. stuff out but yeah um it's still this idea of being a little bit apprehensive about talking about your experiences yeah um now and now the that. now the fear is people will find your search history that's, yeah, that's, that's where right. that's where it is exactly. now you don't want people you don't want your search history getting out there but you know uh, let's talk about people here for a second though too because this is another thing i want to talk about talk with you about uh was people who may be more prone to having an encounter, um, you know, we've kind of weaved around this, I think, a bit. But I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that, as far as certain people, I guess, um, who would be more prone to to be exposed to these these experiences, I guess. Yeah, um, when I when I did my research in um, Scotland at the University of Edinburgh, one of the things that I focused on was something called environmental sensitivity. Now. Um, environmental sensitivity is it, it doesn't have anything to do with um, 
um, like psychic sensitivity or sensitive to ghosts or anything like that. Um, with with environmental sensitivity, what what it is is really capable of registering very slight differences or changes in the environment. Okay. And and what we found in research is is these people who are very environmentally sensitive or sensitive to the environment around them uh, have way more paranormal experiences than the general population. So people. who were categorized as environmentally sensitive had about 70 percent of those people had a paranormal experience of some kind. Um, So that's way higher than the general population. So the idea became, well, why is this one subset of the population having more experiences than everyone else? Mm -hmm. So then you kind of delve a little bit more deeper into that. So, you know, as humans, we're all sort of affected by and react to the environment in different ways. Uh, my experience of the world is different than your experience of the world. Mm-hmm. I smell things differently. I see things differently. I may see different colors. Um, I may be more sensitive when I go out in the summer. I may have allergies that may affect my headaches, that may affect my perception, maybe fluorescent lighting, perhaps smells. People's colognes and fragrances could give me rashes and headaches, whereas you, you don't even notice it in the environment. Yeah. So these things that are all around us, uh, people are sensitive to the environment different. Um, some people react to chemicals that are out there. Some people react to electromagnetic fields. Some people react to all these other environmental things. Um, so as as we look at this, we can see that the, the environment affects more people than others. And that kind of leads to some, sometimes it leads to actual physical conditions like fibromyalgia, um, environmental illnesses, mm-hmm. um, migraines, these types of things. Yeah. Uh, allergies, uh, chronic fatigue, all these types of things. Mm-hmm. But it's actually in in other countries you could have something like called chemical sensitivity and be on disability for it. Like oh, really? there was one person I was reading about that had such severe allergies that um, she couldn't even tolerate a lot of water. She was on a diet of like boiled fish. Um, you know, her symptoms were worse. Um, uh, sounds, colors, and lights were unbearable. Certain materials and minerable minerals, electricity was so overwhelming she couldn't watch TV. So you could see in, in our world, this person couldn't really function. Yeah. Uh, but, so well, I mean, what we found is, go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I was going to say. I mean, I, there's people who are allergic, like allergic to plastics. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard of that have you know severe allerg- allergies to plastics. That's here in the states. And I mean, imagine having an allergy like that. Where I mean, you can't. I mean, my arms are literally on a couple of uh, parts of this chair that I'm sitting on right now that are plastic. Yeah, I mean, that's so ridiculous to me. Uh, and you mentioned water. You said water. Yeah, it's it's so uh, it's so varied, you know. But yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean, I no, just, no, you're right. It's, it's just so varied and so interesting how one how one person's perspective or life is so completely different than ours. Like, yeah, exactly. If he's allergic to plastic what do you do throughout the day? Right. (laughs) I don't, I can't think of a, 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 I don't know, an hour that I go by that I don't interact with plastic at some point. You can't drive. I mean, your car. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, Um, I can go, I can go on for an hour about what things you couldn't do as a result of that. Yeah. But just think about like electricity. Yeah. uh, That's always around us or even fragrances and smells. If fluorescent lighting, um, that if, if you work in an office or something, you really can't avoid that. But, you know, 
some individuals are more prone to ghostly experiences. It has nothing to do with psychic abilities, and it's something as basic and concrete as touch, taste, and smell. And this is what environmental sensitivity is. Mm. Uh, and, and I think when we do the research, Michael Jower is the guy that really started this whole thing. Um, and he found, obviously, those with paranormal experiences uh, were, or those who are environmentally sensitive have way more paranormal experiences. Um, so this idea is sort of we're all we're, we we all have radios, right? Yeah. All radios have sort of this basic equipment to pick up or tune into radio waves. However, there are some that are more refined, sophisticated, and able to pick up stations more clearly. So these environmentally sensitive people usually have sort of these superior biological radio, radios, and they're sort of detecting and getting information from the environment that other people aren't really getting. And to some degree, it affects them physically. Um, but we're also finding out that it affects them um, more in the paranormal aspect of things, right? Right. So while the general population has the ability to experience paranormal phenomenon, it happens to be more likely to be detected or register among this special group. And this, the research really says that those who are environmentally sensitive are more prone to apparitions at haunted locations because they're sort of more tuned into the environment. So in, in my research, just briefly, what I did, mm -hmm. there's a place in Scotland called Mary King's Close. It's, it's been on all the ghost yeah, shows. Yeah, I've it's been like, there. Oh, you've been yeah, there? Yeah, yep. Okay. So my research was actually there. It's like an underground city. Yeah. Supposedly, they walled people up down there and, and during the plague. I don't know if that's true or not. But a lot of shady stuff went on down there. Um, but my research was done there. So over a course of five days, what I did was I took um, I took about 250 people through this. Uh, they went through the tour. And then as they were going through the tour, they checked off if they had a paranormal haunt-type experience. So about 250 people just... 250 people go through this haunted location. How many experiences do you think were reported to me out of those 250 people? Oh, wow. Just take – you can take okay. a wild guess. Um, 20. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> no, what do you think? 10. All right, Brandon. Uh, 601. Holy cow. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought it was going to be one of those things where people just didn't talk about it. Holy crap. No. It's overwhelming. Experiences. So 250 people, obviously some of them were having more than one experience. Um, so 601 experiences I had to work with, um, and before they actually went down into the, into the Mary King's close, I gave them like a questionnaire and the questionnaire was just sort of a basic way to determine if they were environmentally sensitive or they weren't. Um, and what we found that obviously those who were environmentally sensitive, I think were, uh, two to three times more likely to have paranormal experiences mm. at this haunted location. And they are obviously they had more past paranormal experiences as well. So this this subset of the population seems to be more in tune with these paranormal experiences. Yeah. Um, and, and and I talk a little bit about hey if you're if you're good at picking up things in the environment, whether it's magnetic fields or whatever else, it kind of makes sense that you're better apt at picking up these telepathic distress signals or uh, consciousness that's in the in the air or wh whatever. You're sort of better apt at picking these things up than the mm. general population person. You know, I, I've been I've been talking about this, you know, in converse, you know, in conversations for the last few months, and it's something we may have heard here on the show or from someone I may have talked to, and we've been going down this path that you know, the idea of ghosts or or 
other dimensions or, you know, everything kind of we've, what we've talked about here tonight, it could just be a force, another force of nature that we just don't understand, right? And that makes a lot of sense with people where, yeah, some people may perceive things, perceive this force of nature, let's say, better than I can. I know my hearing is different than Amber's, for example. Um, according to Amber, I'm deaf. Yeah. I, for some reason, yep. she thinks I, I turn the TV up too loud. I do everything too damn loud. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so we we perceive sound differently. Uh, and sound is, to me, it's a, it's a part, it's a force of nature. It's something we, we experience every minute of our lives. So why couldn't this idea of the paranormal of, and I'm trying to put a name on it, I really can't, uh, but this idea we're talking about be a force of nature itself that we just don't understand, but some people can can tune into it a little easier than other people can. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's this idea that uh, the, the word sensitive is usually thrown out there quite a bit. Um, and usually it has to mean that psychic sensitivity, but if you're not psychically sensitive, you could still have paranormal experiences. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, everyone's a big proponent of having these sensitives when you go out and do things. Um, I, I think it, it, if, if you trust these, these sensitives, I think it's a, not a bad idea, but we have the ability to sense things as well. And maybe these people who are environmentally sensitive are really good at it too. So they might not be communicating with spirits, but yeah. they're really in tune with the environment. Um, so I, I, again, it's one of these things where we take a step back and we look at things differently. If you have a pop a subset of the population, which is having way, way more experiences than the general population, you have to take a look at why that is. And if you can pinpoint why this population seems to be having more experiences and you can sort of tease out what's happening, mm -hmm. then that gives you a better idea of what's happening in general in paranormal experiences. Yeah. Because this is the one thing that's – anytime you do any sort of study, you want to have some, some variable that's somewhat consistent and reliable. The thing about paranormal phenomenon is it's it's everything that the scientific method hates. It's it doesn't mm -hmm. happen at will. You can't make it happen. It's unpredictable. It's spontaneous. <laughs> no, and I agree with you on 150 percent on yeah. all them points. It's not simple. It, it's not easy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just so it's, you have to find things that sort of correlate with it, exactly. and then get more information and come up with more thoughts and and so forth and so on and, and hopefully i mean technology is always one of those things that's constantly evolving um mm -hmm. so as technology evolves maybe we have a better idea of what consciousness is and if we do that and we can correlate these all this stuff can really happen well you know in the idea of mediums and sensitives i don't discount them either but i've run down that same path especially nowadays where i'm like just go out there if you're going to go out and do some type of field research or you're going to a haunted location, just go there. And, yeah. and I, I, I've been preaching this for years now to people. I, I know when you go, I know for safety, I understand like when you're at a, a location, depending on where it may be, um, yeah. you know, use the buddy system. But if you use the buddy system in a paranormal place and something happens and you have somebody to corroborate your evidence, uh, well, I'm not really concerned with, myself concerned with you know putting this in the national Enquirer or, or proving it hand over fist i just want to have an experience and i've had experiences on my own and i found myself when we are doing work like that just going off by myself 
and mm-hmm. just seeing if something happens. And if it happens, it just it's my experience. I've said that over and over again uh, in the yeah. past, and I'm gonna keep saying it too because I think it's important. I, I and I just think it's because I think we all are sensitive to a certain degree. Maybe some much more than others, but I think we all have it in, in us to have an experience like that or be sensitive in some way. I think. Yeah, and and that's everyone who goes out, uh, whether it's. Uh, a ghost walk once every seven years to yeah. a person who is an adamant investigator that goes out every weekend or day or whatever. Mm-hmm. We all have this sort of different reason why we do it. Um, the people who might seek adrenaline or being in a haunted location, that's what they're seeking. And then there's the opposite side, which is not the opposite side, but the the investigator who's sort of just looking to get answers or get a better grasp of maybe what's considered paranormal um Mm. so if you're honest with why you're going out there i mean if if you're going out there to to get that sense of fear and like oh i'm hunting a ghost type thing that's fine Mm. but you know just be honest with yourself yeah if your goal is to get evidence and post it on online or um, whatever it is i think just honesty is the best policy when it comes to that agree um and and it's always it's always a tricky thing whenever you work with someone with psychic abilities or acc- claim psychic abilities because it's a challenge it's a challenge to to sort of verify that that actually is going on so yeah <laughs> and sometimes if you if you catch them in something you feel awkward in challenging them or confronting them um, yeah, there's people out there that that's their hobby. <laughs> there's people that's what they do. We we I we've known a few people over the years that they go out just to literally trip up sensitives and see if they can yeah. catch them. Which is it right? Is it wrong? I see a use for it to a certain degree, but it's also just kind of destructive. You know what I mean? So yeah. So again, everyone has a different purpose or reason exactly. for that, and. You know, if if you're going out, if the goal is to have an experience and to have a general good time, that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start seeking um, advice on demons from someone you don't know too much about, <laughs> then it becomes a little bit challenging. Because yeah. the person you're talking to demons about could have some sort of inherent mental health illness, like a delusional disorder or schizophrenia, and they may have these delusions of Satan or demons and they might be on medications and then you have a, um, a psychic or a sensitive or uh, an expert come in and say, yeah, there are demons in this house. Then they go, you know what? I'm not crazy. I got to stop taking these meds. My psychiatrist is the one that's crazy. And the next thing you know, they slowly decompensate to the point where, you know, they could be a danger themselves or others. So it's very, it's a very, challenging place to be so when you start throwing out oh i see a demon or i see this i don't i think sometimes we don't think about the consequences of those types of things oh yeah i, I agree 100 percent. now and, and in your book also and i just made me think about this uh there there is a chapter called not everything is paranormal and i'm thinking yeah. this may be one of those skeptical views of this because there are you discuss skeptical views on ghostly encounters and i think it's not a stretch to think that this may be one of those without hearing it from you first, but uh, this mental illness angle is, would that be one of these ideas that maybe this is maybe one of the problems that people have with these, with these encounters? 
Yeah, in the book I go over. I, I actually do go over a case study, uh, one that I read from a from a demonologist. Uh, I don't put his name or anything in there because that doesn't really help anybody. But what what it is was this 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 guy went into uh, this house and you had a person who was because um, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is really hallucinations, delusions, disorganized speech, catatonic behaviors, um, social work dysfunctions, those types of things. So let's say you have someone who's having like um, – I think in the in the case, I, there's a 20-year-old woman who moved out of her house mm-hmm. and, and she's on the road to becoming an independent adult and um, she started having – a lot of these things where um, she was seeing shadow people throughout the apartment. She was hearing voices telling her to hurt herself. Um, when the parents would go over there, she would just have show no emotion, stare into space for hours and speak in weird languages. Oh. Um, so they, the, somehow a demonologist got involved and he came in and he said, oh, it's a demon. Um, but if you look at this thing sort of from a psychiatric perspective, is – taking away the paranormal thing is, is Anne having hallucinations? Yeah. She's having auditory hallucinations. She's hearing voices. Is she having delusions? Well, we don't know too much about that, but is she having disorganized speech? Yeah. She's speaking in weird languages that no one really understands. Is she having, she's not speaking in tongues though. Cause that's, I think what, what, and not the, this is just the things you hear a lot in the field is, well, the person just started speaking in tongues. We didn't, they were speaking other languages. We don't understand, but they don't know those languages. So (laughs) that's what I'm saying. If you don't understand the language, how do you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, If someone starts speaking in tongues, I would just assume it's gibberish. Um, if someone even starts speaking in to some degree German, I would think it's gibberish too. Um, but uh, so these these weird languages uh, is she disorganized? Yeah, she's catatonic. She's staring into space for hours. Uh-huh. Um, she's depressed. Uh, she's withdrawn from social work uh, or from work and social activity. So all these things are key components of schizophrenia. Um, so the diagnosis shouldn't be first off it's a demon. The diagnosis should be let's get you maybe see a psychiatrist and kind of go from there. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think this is a 20 year old person here. A lot of people think, well, if she's 20 years old, she would have already been diagnosed with schizophrenia, but schizophrenia sometimes doesn't kick in until after 18. I mean, it's not really diagnosed until after you're 18 and in your twenties, if you have some sort of stressful event, like moving out of your house, it may trigger schizophrenic episodes. Um, yeah, I, I, Brandon, I'm 44 and I was just diagnosed with anxiety disorder just, just like a week ago. (laughs) I mean, something happened that triggered it and it was diagnosed with that. So I'm living proof that that can happen way past that. You know, it don't happen early. You don't always find it early on. It, I think it's something that manifests. It's something that may you may grow into. Dare I say it that way? Um, it's not something that may not may, may be with you your whole life and just kind of you know blossom up at a certain point in your life. It may be with you all the time, and it just takes something to trigger it, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's the same thing with schizophrenia. You know, and if you have someone coming in telling you it's a demon, this. Then Anne, then in this case example, Anne may not get um, immediate help. She may not get put on medications or get some treatment right away, and she may, they may try to do these other methods, which could make it worse. Yeah. 
Um, and then you sort of, you're misdiagnosing someone in a way. Um, now, if you rule out all the medical stuff and all the schizophrenia stuff and you still have these sort of bizarre behaviors, then you could start going down that road. But mm. the first thing shouldn't be demon because for the Anne, this could set her back quite a bit. Um, Just the fright alone. The, I mean, the, the trauma from that alone, it's something, you know, this is like talking to a mirror tonight. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible, Brandon, because a lot of things we've touched on here, especially an idea like this, um, we say this all the time on and off this show, that if you're going out in the field or you're doing this kind of research and you're interacting with people like at their houses, for example, or anywhere, really, uh, yeah. You know, I've always had that idea like, look, I, I'm an amateur at best here. And I make sure that people know that. They're, that That's very clear. I don't know. I have a certain amount of experience and that's it. But I don't have the answers here. I can only maybe just try to, you know, look at some stuff, maybe get some evidence and talk about some stuff. But, I mean, I am not a psychologist. I have no certification behind me on that. And I also, but at the same time, I'm responsible in a situation like that to not scare the living hell out of somebody and and and, and harm them mentally. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've said that oftentimes to people in the past. Like, look, I'm coming here. I'm going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Can you deal with that? Because if you can't, tell me now. I don't want to scar you guys and have you running out of your house in the middle of the night, right? And I think yeah. a lot of people, like you said, they jump to this. People with even less experience than I have, I think, jump to this conclusion of, well, it's got to be a demon in your house for sure. When they have no, uh, even demonologists, you know, I would, the people I would say call a demonologist, they don't even know what the hell it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary, man. Anytime, and 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 I, I've said this on I think on a couple of radio shows, but yeah, any sort of ghostly encounter that happens, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. In a way, we bring our own perceptions to it, we bring our own beliefs to it, and we bring our own ideas. In a way, that's a vague term, but our own ideas to it. Okay, so. You could have an apparition of like a dark shadow going across the room. If I'm an adamant uh, religious person um, who has, you know, studied the Bible and believes all, all I'm very into my religion, uh, a shadow creature moving across my room in my lens would be perceived as demonic or evil. Perhaps mm. someone who is more on the atheist side would view that same experience as something completely different. So rather than view an experience for just an experience, we tend to label it as being negative or we label it as being positive or we label it as being um, a ghost or we label it as being a demon or we label it as being this or that. Mm-hmm. And and what's happening is everyone comes in with different perspectives on the same experience and you're getting nine different explanations for it. Yeah. And it's all because people have different perspectives on it. So you really want to go in and and throw away all these connotations of what, what you believe your religious parts of it and things like that. Mm. So a demonologist, at least from my, when I speak to them or I hear them on radio shows, they seem to be based in Christianity for the Mm. most part. Yeah. Um, so you have this already belief going into it. And then if you already have this lens, then everything you perceive could be towards the, the demonic or negative route. Um, 
And, you know, it, it, it kind of, Anytime you want to study something objectively, you can't come in with these biases or preconceived notions because you're always going to go a certain way. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know very many demonologists. I when I go to these, when I go to paranormal conferences, I will talk to them. Um, but it, I think anyone needs to go into any experience. It's just being a little bit more objective with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think you'll come out with better answers and and and. You know, if you're in a, a, a case where you're dealing with the family or whatever, I, I think, you know, it's okay to say I don't know. I think yeah, <laughs> there's uh, some pressure when you're when you go to somebody's house and they and they're asking you questions and they're looking for answers. Sometimes I think there's pressure to give them some type of answer, and sometimes that answer um, may may not be obviously yeah. right but but may be more based on expectations to give them an answer rather than what exactly. you actually believe. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know yeah, and it goes back to what I was saying before. I I I I've been painfully clear about it with people to you know to just to to the to the max with that like look, I don't know what's going on here. I'm probably not going to know what's going on here at the other end of this thing too. You need to know that right now. Uh, I'm only going to show you what we've taken pictures of or we've recorded with our, you know, with our recorders, whatever, or our video cameras. You're only going to see that. And there may be something there. There may not be something there. And I think people, when it comes to when, when someone gets titled the paranormal investigator or dare they dare they say ghost hunter or whatever it may be, we've said this a lot in the past, and that automatically gives you credentials. And I don't think that's correct. Fortunately, unfortunately, there's no governing body to regulate something like that. You can just say you're a paranormal investigator, and next thing you know, people are all asking you about this and that and this and that. And you don't have the answers. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not trying to be mean, but you, these, they don't have the answers. It's just as simple as that. So it's okay to say, I don't know, I think. I think it's okay because yeah. it should be from the very beginning of whatever that whatever situation you're in with somebody it should be established that you're they probably know more about it than you do because they've been experiencing it right so yeah. you're uh, not going to know <laughs> i don't know any other way yeah, to say it man. yeah exactly and, and yeah. if you go in like that that's good it's it's always challenging like yeah, i said totally. just because you're seen as an expert. You come in, and then it's like there's that pressure. But no, I, yeah, I agree. You with shouldn't you. even put yeah. that on yourself. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's a messy situation. But Brandon, I have to say first off, thank you. We can't think. This has been a really fun. I've had, I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, I really can't express that uh, the way I'd like to. But thank you so much. Uh, it really has been great to talk to you. Now, one thing I'm really excited about here, though, too, is we're going to be meeting you. In a couple of months, oh. where you're you're going to be at the Haunted America conference. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. On June 21st and 22nd, our buddy Troy Taylor's conference that we oh sure we, yeah we never miss it these days. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to you some more face to face about some sure. of these ideas we talked about. Uh, so yeah, just just literally yeah, wow. Like tomorrow will be two months. Yeah, that's what it will feel like tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow, Brandon. No, 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 <laughs> no. I said tomorrow. No, well, I said tomorrow it, the twenty oh, second. But no, it will be here just like that. Too. Yeah, it'll be in. Yeah, yeah it'll be happening. really quick. So yeah, we're looking really forward to meeting you. And can't thank you enough for talking to us. I mean, I really personally enjoyed talking to you. Uh, and it, yeah. you know, talking to someone 
of your caliber and your experience and I, and hearing a lot of the same stuff that I've been saying for years, I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm going down the right path here. I think. Ghostly talk. <laughs>